The following is a sermon by Pastor Jordan Rogers. You can find sermon videos at www.youtube.com slash Jordan Neal Rogers. Thank you for listening today. This morning we are in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 down through verse 37. I'm going to ask you for a, a little bit of participation. I think that this is... I think that this is a healthy measure for us to engage in. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'll tell you, it's okay to answer this question, okay? I don't, you're not going to get struck down or anything. We're not going to excommunicate you if you answer this question, okay? Is anybody in here? You have to raise your hand. You have to participate. I understand we're Baptists, okay? Has anybody in here heard of the band 38 Special? Raise your hand if you've heard of 38 Special. Okay, we've got a few sinners in here. Raise your hand. Okay. All right, there we go. All right, y'all know. Okay, maybe you haven't heard of the band 38 Special. If you have, you've heard of this song. But even if you haven't heard of that band in particular, I bet you almost everybody in here has heard a song called Hold On Loosely. Anybody heard the, the song Hold On Loosely? Okay, now I'm going to put you to a test. I'm going to give you a test here to see if you really have. Um, you're going to have to repeat the second line here uh, of the, that beginning of the chorus, okay? So I'm going to sing the first line, and then, yes, you are going to join together and sing that second line, okay? And if you don't do it loud enough, you know how I am. I'm going to have you do it again, okay? All right, here we go. Hold on loosely. We're going to try this again, okay? <laughs> Y'all listen to music. You just don't practice music much, okay? Let's, let's, let's do this again. Hold on loosely. That's better. We do about 100 times. We'll get it. All right. So you know the song. Here's the point, though. It's a trick question, and every one of you have failed. What you have proven is that you're rockers, and you really need to be listening to Christian music. At, <laughs> I know the song because I had to do research for the sermon, okay? <laughs> but you're guilty. So you know how the, the chorus of that song goes. You don't have to sing it, okay? We've broken enough glass today. Um, hold on loosely, but don't let go. If you grip too tightly, you're going to lose control, okay? So you know the message of that song there. Um, I, I want to explain to you and express to you uh, uh, the point from this passage this morning, the overarching point of this passage this morning. It's actually quite the opposite of that song. It's simply this. The tighter that you hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the looser you will hold on to the things of this temporary life. If you'll take a pen out, if you want to write that down, that is, the, that is the overarching idea of this text. The tighter you hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the looser you will hold on to the things of this temporary life. 
You've seen for the first four chapters of the book of Acts the formation of the church. You're, you're a product of the formation of the church you see in the first four chapters of the book of Acts. And you remember how the church was formed. The church was formed based on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus had been crucified there in the city of Jerusalem, right outside the city. He had been mocked and tried in the city, crucified outside of the city, and then raised from the dead three days later, of which the the apostles and many others were witnesses because Jesus appeared to them for 40 days after his resurrection. And the Bible tells us, history also validates this fact that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did it in the presence of more than 500 people. More than 500 witnesses watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And so you remember that after Jesus ascends into heaven, the angels say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here? But the same way that Jesus ascended into heaven, he will also descend from the heaven. And the angel essentially sends them back and says, go into Jerusalem, obey the command of Jesus, and you wait on the coming of the Holy Spirit. They go back into Jerusalem. They're there in the upper room. They're praying. They're fellowshipping. They are essentially, it seems, hiding out for fear of the Jews. But then that one day, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. There's an earthquake, the room shakes, and the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And these very men who watched Jesus be crucified walked out into the middle of the city where their Lord was crucified, and they began to preach the gospel of Jesus in all known languages, in many tongues, there on the day of Pentecost. And you know the gospel quite well, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to the earth, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, was raised from the dead, and he has ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And by his hand, and according to his judgment, he will judge the living and the dead one day. That is the gospel of Jesus, and that all who call on his name because of his death and resurrection, he forgives them. Therefore, it's true that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so there, that day on the day of Pentecost, as the apostles full of the Holy Spirit preached the gospel there in the city square, it says that 3,000 people were born again that day. They believed in the Lord Jesus. They turned to him, and God supernaturally changed their heart. 3,000 people. Later on, you see, they're not too long after that, Peter and John on their way out to the temple for the hour of prayer, three in the afternoon, and there's a man crippled from his mother's womb. They see him, and Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, turns to that man and says, in the name of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth, I say to you, rise up and walk. And he reaches down and grabs the man by the right hand, lifts him up, and the man walks. There's a suddenly a huge crowd of people that gather, and they're wondering, they're marveling at what has just happened, because they all know this man. Peter and John take the opportunity to preach, and they preach again the gospel. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation at the right hand of God, calling all these people to repent of their sins. And the Bible tells us that more than 5,000 men that day believed in the Lord Jesus. So you see within the span of probably 90 days... After Jesus' resurrection, the church has grown to 8,000 plus members. These are not people serving a dead Lord. These are people who are rocked by the resurrection 
of the living Christ, the one who died for their sins and was raised to live forever. And they trust him. 8,000 people in 90 days. So you've seen how the church is formed. The church is formed through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel. This morning, what I want you to see, and I think this is the point of the text, is not so much how the church was formed, but it is how the church functions. How does the church function? Look at verse 32 of Acts chapter 4 with me. It says, Now the full number of those who, were, who believed were of one heart and soul. The full number. That word, full number, it's actually one word there in the Greek, and it's the word plethos. That word probably sounds familiar to you. You may know this word already. It's the word plethora. Plethora, it means many, a multitude, a lot of something. And you know by this time, there was a plethora of people in the church in Jerusalem. 8,000 plus people. That is a lot of people from all over the known world at that time. And they're in Jerusalem. They are one church. And look at what it says about them. They were of one heart and soul. 8,000 people in agreement. That's incredible, isn't it? Because you may say, 8,000 people, I go to my house, there's only two people there, and we can't agree on half of the things. How do these 8,000 people agree on everything? They are of one heart and one soul. Now, the word heart is the word cardia. We get our word cardiac from that when we talk about the organ of the body, the heart, that which beats and pumps the blood out through our veins and arteries and so on and so forth. That's the word cardia. It doesn't mean organ, though, in the Bible. In the Bible, it's speaking of the seat of the emotions, the, the seat of the will, the inner person is who it speaks of. It says that they were of one heart and one soul. That word for soul is the word suke. It means breath. It means breath or, or spirit. And that word also speaks of, of the inner person, that which is about you as a person that will endure forever. Your soul, your forever inner person. Okay, so you, you see what's being said here. They were of one heart and soul, all of these many thousands of people. So that begs the question, doesn't it? How can people from vastly different backgrounds have a unified heart and soul? How can a plethora of people move together as one person? Is what that verse says. See, we, we are a plethora of people. There's all ages and sizes and uh, multiple races and people come from various backgrounds. We have different parents. We have different genealogies, lineages, and so on and so forth. We come from different places. How can we be unified? In fact, we're just so many of our number, we have two services just to fit people in the same room. And how can all of those people move together in unity? In the bond of unity, 
How can we move together as one heart and one soul? This is what the apostle Paul had prayed and commended and commanded the church at Philippi to do, to move together with one heart and with one soul. Listen to these words from Paul in Philippians 1 verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that when I, whether I come or see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It ought to be a characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ that we have one heart and one mind, that we be unified. We may ask the question now, how is that accomplished? All these people from various walks, how do we have one heart and one mind? The key is right there in verse 32. Look at it more closely now. Now the full number of those who believed. That's the key. That is the key to their unity. The key to unity in God's church is the work that is accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The key to unity in the church is the work that is accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us very clearly that when a person believes on the Lord Jesus, that there is actually something supernatural that takes place. When you give your life to Christ, you confess your sins to him, you say, Lord, I believe in you, and you truly do believe. Being born again, being a Christian, does not mean that you, you sign that paper so that we have a record of your visit here at the church. Being born again is something that God accomplishes. It's a miracle. And no matter how hard I preach, no matter how hard you love, you cannot bear someone again. That is a unique, miraculous, supernatural work of God where he takes an old person who is dead in their trespasses and sins and he makes them alive with a new heart and a new mind in Christ Jesus. That is what it means to be born again. And there are myriad benefits of being born again. Everlasting life, forgiveness of sins. I'm going to point you to one particular benefit of being born again, giving your life to the Lord Jesus. And it's this, that when you are born again, when you call on the name of Jesus, you are given the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within you. That's not unique to any particular individual. That is characteristic of every single person that calls on the name of Jesus. They are given the Holy Spirit. You see, we have very different people all around, but we ought to have one spirit. We ought to have one mind. We ought to have one heart. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 1 verse 13. He says, in him and Jesus also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. Every one of us, when we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, are given the Holy Spirit. So how can people from vastly different backgrounds, from various ages and life stages, how can we walk in unity and in agreement? 
It's when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and submitted to his leadership. Therefore, it stands to argue, stands to be reasoned, that if there is not unity in the church, it is because of sin. Without exception, if there is disunity in the church, it is because of sin. It is because one or multiple people are grieving the Holy Spirit and they are walking contrapositively to the Lord's leading. Because the Spirit is not divided. God's Holy Spirit is one and he does not have multiple opinions about things. He knows things. He knows all things. The Holy Spirit is not divided. God's people ought not be divided. If there is division amongst us, it is because there is sin in our midst. So every person in God's church has to examine their own heart and let God do his own work in your heart to see if you are submitted, truly submitted to the lordship of Jesus and to the leading of his Holy Spirit. When we walk in unity with the Spirit, we will walk in unity together as one. The gospel accomplishes unity in the church. Look at Jesus' commandment. I'll read it to you. Jesus' commandment to his disciples there in John chapter 13. I'll read verse 34 and 35 to you. It seems very simple. A new commandment I give to you, says Jesus, that you love one another. There's no discord there. That you love one another. Well, how? How am I supposed to love another brother or sister in Christ? How do I love a fellow church member, somebody else who's called on the name of Jesus? That you love one another just as I have loved you. What does it mean to love a brother or sister in Christ? You don't get to choose how you love them. Jesus dictated how we love them. We just celebrated the manner in which we are to love one another. When we looked at the Lord's table, how did the Lord Jesus love us? He laid down his life for us. Friends, we ought not be bickering, backbiting, complaining against one another, murmuring, gossiping, pulling each other down. We ought to be dying for one another. We ought to love one another the way that Jesus loved us. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Look at this, verse 35 of John 13. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People in the world, you, you hear it every day. They clamor and they clang around and they, they, they figure that through dialogue and debate and discussion and through these panel groups and we're going to have everybody's opinion included and somehow we're going to come to a reasonable understanding about how to unify this country. You hear these people all day long, every day. How can we bring unity? Oh, this election is so important. Whoever we elect into office and then the midterm elections and so on and so forth. We have to get a government that walks in righteousness and then we will have unity. Unity is not accomplished through governments. 
Unity is not accomplished through elections or elected officials. Unity is a gift of God that is accomplished through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. If the world wants to be unified, what the world needs to do is turn to Jesus. If the world turns to Jesus, the world will cease to have many people with many different spirits. We would have many different people, but we would have one spirit. We would have unity. It's a shame when the church of Jesus Christ walks in disunity. What a black mark on the white dress that is supposed to clothe the bride of Christ. Friends, we ought to be submitted to the Holy Spirit, and we ought to love one another just as Jesus did, how he laid down his life, and that is rooted in our belief in him. Plethora of people, those who believed were of one heart and one soul, many people moving together as one person. Not only does the gospel accomplish unity in the church, the gospel also accomplishes generosity. It also brings generosity in the church. Look at the whole part of verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That word common is the word koina. We get our word, that's a root word for koinonia, where we talk about fellowship. They had everything in fellowship, everything in common. They shared the same table. They shared the same possessions. What, what is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. They had everything in common. And what you need to understand is not only does the gospel bring about unity in God's church, it also brings about generosity. That does also beg a question, doesn't it? How does the gospel of Jesus Christ bring about generosity in my heart? How does it make me to be generous with the things that God has given me? Work with me here. When you hear the gospel, Jesus died for your sins, raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. Place your faith in Jesus, forgiven of sins, given everlasting life. That's the key. The gospel has everything to do with eternity. The gospel provides us with eternal riches, with an inheritance that never runs out, a crown that never fades, a home that never depreciates, a land that is incorruptible. We have an inheritance in God through his son, Jesus Christ, that we will never lose. So when I look at this possessions, these possessions of this temporary life, they are inconsequentially petty. Well, the best things that I have material-wise in this life are not fit for the trash can of heaven. Oh, it frees me to be generous with these temporary things. I'm not going to hold on to them anyway. And so because I am gripped tightly by the gospel and because I grip the gospel tightly, I can also hold on loosely to the things of this life. When you grip tightly, 
tightly to the gospel with one hand, it frees that other hand to open up and give and serve. Because you can use those temporary possessions for eternal purposes. And when the gospel takes root in people's hearts, you have people now who have been changed so that they are living a temporary life trying to accomplish eternal things. So they say, you know what? It's okay to sell my possessions. It's okay to share my possessions. It's okay to be radically generous because the payoff is eternal. That's how the gospel frees us, not only to be unified, but also to be generous. Look at verse 33. We're seeing how the church functions. Look at verse 33 and don't miss this. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. After the church was founded, it did not abandon the gospel on which and through which and by which it was built. The preaching of the gospel message was the bedrock and is the bedrock of the church. And the preaching of the gospel, the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, continues today even now, 2,000 plus years later, the preaching of the gospel is an essential element to the church and to the way that the church functions. We can never abandon the message of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If that is ever abandoned, this ceases to be a church. The church is built on the testimony of the apostles to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now look at what it says here in verse 33. It says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In what way or ways was the testimony of the resurrection coming forth in great power? Two ways, I believe. Two ways that we'll look at anyway. The first, it was coming in great power because when the apostles preached the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, there were many accompanying signs and miracles and wonders. I mean, when, when Peter says to the crippled man, rise up and walk, that man got up and walked. And there were 5,000 men that day that believed the gospel. Peter is able to say, John is able to say, you know what I'm saying is true because you see what is happening is true. So therefore, it comes in great power. It continues to come in great power. The second way that the gospel comes in great power, is preached in great power then and even still today, is that when the gospel is preached and people believe, they are born again. They are changed miraculously. If you have called on Jesus and he has changed your heart, the Bible tells us any man who's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away and all things have become new. You are a testimony of the power of the gospel. You are a testimony of the miraculous, creative work of the power of the gospel when God changes a hardened heart into somebody who is full of the Holy Spirit, given to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against these such things, Paul says, there is no law. These are the fruit of the Spirit. It's a miraculous evidence of God's powerful gospel at work in people just like you and I. And when we are born again and our lives are changed just like these people's lives are changed, we start living these temporary lives for eternal purposes. Can you imagine the effect that would happen in mid-county if just Hillcrest Baptist Church, just these four to 500 people that come on Sunday mornings, every day lived these temporary lives for eternal purposes. Never went to work and just crank that old jack-in-the-box, make that paycheck. No, go to work for eternal purposes. We go to the grocery store for eternal purposes, not just to, to buy the temporary means of existence. No, we go to share Jesus. We go to work to share Jesus. We live with radical abandon in this world because the gospel has freed us to live for eternal things. And so we look at the temporary things of this life and we say we can do without those because there are greater, more eternal and lasting things to pursue. Could it be, could it be, flip this around, that the tightness of our grip on possessions is a direct relationship to how loosely we actually believe in the reality of eternity. Measure that for yourself. How tightly do you have a grip on your home or your job or your retirement? How important is that to you? However important and tightly gripped you hold on to those temporary things, I believe could be a direct reflection of how much you actually believe in the reality of the gospel and eternity. You say, hold on, you're getting a little serious here. You're getting a little bit deep here. Look at what these people did. These people sold those things. They liquidated their assets because they were planting their life on the bedrock of the gospel. Could it be that the tightness of our grip on possessions could actually reveal to us how loosely we hold on to the gospel? Look further here in verse 34 and 35. The result, there was not a needy person among them. Not a needy person among them. This will sound cheesy, but it is God's honest truth. Brothers and sisters in Christ ought not be needy because brothers and sisters in Christ are greedy. People in our body ought not do without because we have gripped too tightly on the things that we refuse to let go of. 
you know, when we look at texts like this, we like to be super spiritual and make sure it ties straight and we look real churchy and we, we say, this is talking about spiritual things. We, we can minister to one another in spiritual matters. I, I'm free to minister spiritually to these people. This text is not talking about ministering to people in spiritual ways. This text is strictly talking about finances. The gospel ought to free us to be a little more loose with our bank account when it comes to helping out a brother and sister in this room. A brother and sister in this world doing the work of the gospel. It ought to free us to do that. And that gnawing thing that you feel in the back of your mind saying, I hear you, but I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to loosen my grip. You're starting to understand more and more that the tightness of your grip on possessions is a direct relationship to how loosely or how tightly you have gripped and been gripped by the gospel. Look at this. There was not a needy person among them. Verse 34 for as many as were owners of lands and houses. Can you think in this world of a more valuable asset than lands or homes? What do they say about land? Hey, if you've got the capital, buy land because land never, land never depreciates. Buy a home because if it's a seller's market, you're going to get your equity out of it. Well, lands and homes, these are safe places to park our money and to, to build our wealth. These are the greatest assets we can own in this life. They're more sure than stocks. And many times they're even more sure than gold or silver or precious metals like that. Buy land, buy homes, but look at what they do. For as many as were owner of lands and houses sold them. They sell the most valuable, rock-solid assets in this life. They sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. They didn't hold tightly onto the possessions of this life because they have eternal thoughts in their mind, eternal gripped eternally gripped by the gospel. Look at what they did with the proceeds here. They liquidate these assets and they lay it at the apostles' feet. They come to church and they put the proceeds of what they've sold down at the apostles' feet for, it says, distribution. That money was distributed. Now, this, this text is not about the offering plate, but it does bear mentioning that this is the way that this church functions. You may be a new member. You may be new in Christ. You may not really understand what takes place when the offering plate goes around and you see those little envelopes that say giving or, or whatever. You may not understand that. When the offering plate goes around, every dollar that comes into this church goes into one account. And all of that money is used to do the ministries of this church, to fund the ministries of this church, to meet the needs of the poor, to minister to spiritual needs, to minister into this community, to advance the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. And when we measure the effectiveness of our budget, I ask the finance team one question about each line item. How is this line item advancing the kingdom of God? 
And if this line item doesn't advance the kingdom of God, we need to cut it. Because everything that we do ought to be distributed to meet the needs of our community, of our, our church, and also of our community as we advance the gospel. That is the way we work here. That's the way that we function. Now, it says in Luke 16, 13, Jesus is talking about money. Jesus talked quite a bit about money. And what he said was, you cannot serve God and money. The truth is that you see from this text is, yes, you cannot serve God and money, but you can serve God with the money he's given you. You can serve God with the money he's given you. If you find that very hard to do, check how tightly you hold on to the gospel. Now look, a very practical example here, verse 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, oh, hold on. We're talking about a church here. We're talking about a plethora, right? We're talking about a multitude of people. We're talking about corporate giving, corporate distribution so that nobody has a need. And yet when you look at verse 36, it talks about an individual. The gospel's effect in the individual's life. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So his name is Joseph, but the apostles call him Barnabas. He is a son of encouragement. That's a title that Barnabas earned. Wouldn't you like to be able to live your life in such a way that somebody gives you a new name and says, hey, she's a daughter of encouragement. He is a son of encouragement. I, I know what their name is. But I also know the way they act. They are a son or a daughter of encouragement. That is who they are. Look at this initial act by this man who has been changed, who's been rocked by the gospel. Thus Joseph was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite. He's a descendant of Aaron. He has no inheritance in the land of Israel, according to Numbers and Deuteronomy. But look at where he's from. He's from Cyprus. Cyprus is an island just to the west of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. It's really just to the west of Antioch in Syria. It's right outside the promised land there. It says that that's where he's from, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Obviously, he held land on an island. If you owned, if you owned land on an island, how quickly would you liquidate that? You say it depends on how quickly the hurricane comes there. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. <clears throat> a Levite, a, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is a man who was clearly, powerfully changed by the gospel. And I'm going to explain this, that a man who is powerfully changed by the gospel can be used mightily by God for the gospel. Barnabas, you'll hear his name multiple times in the future. Barnabas, born again, he's there in Jerusalem, living in Jerusalem. He's brought up there in the church in Jerusalem. Remember, he's from Cyprus. He's not from Israel. Well, as the gospel begins to spread, you get to Acts chapter 11, and, and word comes to the church in Jerusalem that it's not just Jews who are hearing the gospel and believing. It's Greeks. Greeks are believing. Jesus came not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile. And so what do they do? 
Well, guess what? They heard, the church heard that there were men from Cyprus who were preaching in Antioch. So they say, Barnabas, you're from Cyprus. You may know these good old boys. You go up there and you check out and see what's happening. So they send Barnabas, son of encouragement. They send him to, to Antioch in Syria. And he sees what's happening. He comes back and he says, yeah, these Gentiles are hearing the gospel and they are believing. So you know what Barnabas is sent to do? There, there's this man from a city named Tarsus. And his name is Saul. And Barnabas is actually sent to go to Tarsus and get this newly converted man named Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul. Barnabas goes and gets Saul, this fledgling in the ministry, and he takes Saul and they go to Antioch, Syria, and they begin that church plant there, and they help them get rooted in the gospel. Barnabas, this man who rocked by the gospel, held on loosely to his possessions, he ends up becoming the companion of the Apostle Paul himself on his first missionary journey there around the Mediterranean Sea. This is just a man from a little old island but he's changed powerfully by the gospel. And people who God changes powerfully by his gospel, he also uses mightily for the advancement of the gospel. Barnabas is just a man from a little old town. You may say the same thing of yourself. I'm just a little old me from a, a little old town. Well, you know what? If God has changed you by his gospel, he can use you to powerfully spread the gospel just as well. You are a product here and now. You are a product of the work of Paul and Barnabas. People changed by the gospel. What will people say of you generations from now? Oh, great, 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 great granddaddy. Great, great, great grandma. First one in her family. She called on the name of the Lord Jesus. And now look at the fruit of their life. They were just a person changed by the powerful gospel, used mightily for the gospel. But that will not happen until this truth takes root. The tighter you hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the looser you will hold on to the possessions of this temporary life. Thank you for listening today. I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and tune in next time as we study God's Word together.